Open up your Bibles to John chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 8 through 11, really kind of verse 10 and 11, uh, because 8 and 9 form our main point. Um, so this is the, the third conversation that Jesus is having uh, with his disciples, particularly Philip in this case, uh, regarding his departure, but now regarding his oneness with the Father. So I'm going to read verses 8 through 9, and then we're going to get into the, the message here. So right after Jesus says to, to, to his disciples in verse 7, If you known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him, and you have seen him. Philip responds with this. He said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you for so long, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? I'm getting a little bit of an echo up here, Jordan. Turn me down just a tad. Thanks. That might be better. I'm sure everyone is familiar. I don't know if I didn't realize that Missouri, the state of Missouri, had a bunch of nicknames. However, we're probably only familiar with one of those nicknames. You know the nickname that everyone's familiar with? Missouri. It's called the, uh, the Show Me State, right? Uh, not many people uh, came to, they don't really, really know how that name came about. There's been a, a few theories that were, have been tossed around. One of them was that when the conductor on the train, the Missourians would get on the train, they would tell him that they had their passes, and he said, well, you have to show me your passes in order to continue along and board the train here. Uh, another expression came from after the Civil War, guards uh, were placed in the towns, and if people said they claimed to have passes into Missouri, the guards would then say, you have to show me to validate the fact that you can come into our state. However, uh, much of the credit for popularizing the term goes to Congressman Willard Duncan Van Diver of Cape Girardeau County. He was a scholar and a writer and a lecturer who served as the U.S. representative from 1897 to 1905. He also bore a strong facial resemblance to another famous Missourian, Mark Twain, and was noted as a very colorful orator or speaker. One time he was speaking to Philadelphia's five o'clock club in 1899, and after hearing some earlier speaker's remarks, he questioned the accuracy of what this guy was saying. And he says this, quote, I come from a state that raises corn, cotton, and cockleburls. Not sure what those are, but, and Democrats. He says, frothy eloquence neither convinces nor satisfies me. I am from Missouri. You have to show me. After that, the expression soon caught fancy, supposedly, and portraying these Missourians as tough-minded demanders of proof. 
We can see in his statement that oftentimes contentment, satisfaction, and evidence goes hand in hand, doesn't it? Sometimes it goes hand in hand before we become Christians, but sometimes it also goes hand in hand throughout our walk with Jesus Christ. That's kind of what we see here, isn't it? Philip demands something from Jesus. He demands proof. He demands evidence. He demands to see God's glory before he is content with his grace and Jesus' presence. Philip finds himself in a state. It is a state of disbelief. It is the state of Missouri. He is a citizen of this show-me state. He is not content with Jesus. He is not content with what Jesus has said. He does not believe what Jesus has said. And it is only proof of seeing God's glory, glory of the Father, in which will bring Philip contentment. Philip is not content because he is looking with the wrong eyes. We've been looking at faith and walking with Jesus and as Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure and how to live a triumphant faith. And here I would say, as, as we say, the, the, the title of the sermon is, Is He Enough? We have to ask that question. Is the presence of Jesus Christ in our life, number one, proof enough, but is it enough for us to be satisfied with him? We're talking about faith This is living a satisfied or contented faith. What Philip doesn't know or realize is that he is actually seeing God. That God has actually been made known to Philip through Jesus Christ. And what is happening with Philip happens often in our Christian life. What do we forget? We forget his presence. We forget the fact that God has fully revealed himself in the person of Christ And that because he has revealed himself in the person of Christ and because by faith we can receive what Christ has done for us, that you and I can have an ongoing, continual, eternal relationship with him. And that, my friends, should be enough to satisfy us for now and all eternity. But it's not, is it? We often want more. Show me more. We forget who he is. We're not content with what he has already shown us in his scripture, but primarily in the person of Jesus Christ. And we desire a vision of his glory. We want to see miracles. We want to see him working. We want to see answers to prayer. We want to see his revelation in our lives. And at that point, we're going to say, that's enough, Lord. I'm good now. Until when? Until the next time. We want an experience instead of being content with his presence. And I'll tell you what, folks, that is happening throughout all of Christianity in America. There's a movement right now of this very thing, where people are not content with God's revelation through Scripture. People are not content with their relationship with Jesus Christ and his daily working in their lives, and they want to see more. Show me more. And it will be enough. It's interesting because the phrase that Philip uses here, show me, actually goes back to what Jesus had just said. You know him and you have what? Seen him. It means to reveal. It means to make known. And it's a command. Philip is commanding 
the Lord of all creation, to reveal himself, and it's only at that point will then Philip be content and satisfied. It's interesting because the word that is used for enough is the same word that is used to the Apostle Paul. When he is asking the Lord to remove the thorn in his flesh, and, and he says to him, my grace is enough. My grace is sufficient. God's working is a working in humble means through us as His grace sustains us in this life, not through these external glorious miracles and revelations. It's kind of what Philip is asking here. And he wants to perceive God with the eyes of this world and not the eyes of faith. And in perceiving him this way, Philip is going to be contented or satisfied. Paul's life is manifested, what is manifested in Paul's life when, when God says that? Power, God's power, God's glory is manifested through what? Weakness. When Philip says this, there's actually a sadness in Jesus' statement. And Philip is missing something extremely important. A faith sees God in Christ, first and foremost. A faith beholds God's glory in the person of Jesus Christ. That's how God has chosen to reveal himself, in Jesus. And that faith is then satisfied, while being satisfied with his presence dwelling within you and me. John Piper rightly says, God is most glorified in us when you and I are most satisfied with Him. Not seeking all of these external proofs, not seeking all of these external revelations, but being satisfied with His presence and daily working in our life. Jesus is pointing Philip to look at Himself. Look at Him. That's how you see God. At his ongoing presence with him, he says to him, have I been with you so, so long and you just don't realize, am I not enough for you? Jesus' presence should have been enough, but it wasn't. Philip wanted more. So do we. I do. You do. We go throughout this in our life. Our faith is tested. We're going through difficult times, and we begin to ask God to reveal himself further than he has already. We're going to look at this problem. We're going to work our way through this problem, and there's three steps to how to get out of the state of Missouri. The first step is we first need to identify or see the problem. Uh, verse 10a. Do you not believe... That I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. So Jesus gets right to the heart of the issue. What's the heart of the issue? Is the heart of the issue external proof? Is the heart of the issue that Jesus hasn't shown Philip enough? Is the heart of the issue, does it fall on God? No. It's right here. The heart of the issue is our heart of faith. Uh, Philip, Philip doesn't believe. 2008... Harris Interactive Survey, sponsored by carmd.com, found that 10% of 2,041 U.S. adults polled 
were driving a car whose check engine light was on. How many are guilty? Oh yeah, hands down. An alarming 50% of those cars who were showing signs of an impending breakdown indicated that the light had been on for over three months. Another 10% said the light had been on for one to two months. Kristen Brokoff, marketing manager of carmd.com, says it's particularly sobering statistic because the U.S. government put the onboard diagnostic system in place to alert drivers when their vehicle was emitting too many emissions or when it had a serious problem. The light can signify something potentially very, very costly and very, very dangerous to the passengers or others on the road. They said it's important that the drivers treat it very, very seriously. Drivers offered a whole litany of excuses, right? Some of them were they just didn't have the time or energy to take care of it. That's the category that I fall into, right? I'm just, I don't care about that light. I just ignore it, pretend that it's not there. Um, some don't see the problem because they think the car is what? Running fine. Others can just care absolutely less about it, uh, about it at all. The check engine light is on for Philip, and, and the check engine light needs to be seen by us when we are doing exactly what Philip is doing. Folks, I'm not saying that we don't go through periods of our, of our life, of our faith, where we're going to be asking God to, you know, help us along, right? Where we're going to be putting out those fleeces, we're going to be asking Him to answer our prayers. However, you and I cannot base our faith off of those experiences. We can't. We, we just can't do it. And, and actually, the movement that is called a movement of faith, that's basing faith off of seeing God work, is actually a movement of sight. That's not faith. Faith is believing in what God has said. Faith is taking hold of all of God's glory, seeing Him in the person of Jesus Christ, and being content with that revelation. And moving forward in life, with that, with His presence, we cannot go from mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience. That's not faith, and that's exactly what Philip is asking for. He's asking for this mountaintop experience. You know, but I, I take comfort in, in Philip because we, we're slow learners. <laughs> These guys are numb. Because how many times did Jesus say that he and the Father are one? M multiple times. You go to John chapter 5, right? 18 through 24. It's like a big discourse on him and the Father being one. You go to 1030 where he says, I and the Father are one. But if we're going to have a lesson in context, <laughs> Philip must have just missed what Jesus just said, and I can only imagine the, the look on Jesus' face, because Jesus says, from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip, show us the Father, Jesus. What? From now on, you know him and see Show us the Father. Jesus is like, what? Philip, what? What? what is wrong with you? Did you not just hear what I just said? But how many times are you and I in that position? Where God has revealed himself, God has actually addressed our question. 
our problem that we're having is addressed, and, and we're like, well, can you do this? And Jesus is like, well, <laughs> here you go. I've said it. And, and I've demonstrated it. But we can take comfort in that because we're, it's like all they hear is what the Charlie Brown figures used to hear, right? Well, well that's what, it must be what they heard because literally Jesus, Jesus just said this. What's, what's the problem? Like I said, Philip is looking for this. That's what he's looking for. You know how many people want to come to faith through this first and foremost, right? I have people all the time. Why won't you believe in God? Well, he needs to reveal himself. I'm thinking, <laughs> okay. Well, first and foremost, we ignore what? We ignore creation, don't we? Isn't that, it? I mean, let's, let's, hey, you and I are talking about our existence and God and faith and all of those things. I'm going to go with the fact God exists. The very fact that I'm talking to you about these things, I'm trying to rationalize with you. How about the flowers? How about the seasons? How about the sun? How about the moon? How about the stars? We ignore all of those things. It's just never enough. But even in our, even as Christians, we're seeking burning bushes and God to reveal himself on the mountaintop, and we're never coming down from those mountains. That's not faith at all. It's antithetical to faith. And I'm, trust me, Trust me, folks, I, I am preaching to myself. What is Philip's problem? He's looking at Jesus, and he's seeing a man like himself. He's seeing a humble man from Nazareth, and he's saying, that's not enough. How is God's glory revealed in you? And if God, first and foremost, reveals himself in the person of Jesus Christ, what does that say of how he's going to reveal himself in our own life? Jesus was a man acquainted with sorrows. He was a man acquainted with suffering, grief, sadness, pain. He was made like you and me, yet without sin. That's how God reveals himself. And that's how he's going to work in our life. Just like he says to Paul, my power, my grace is sufficient because my power is manifested in weakness. It's manifested in suffering. As you persevere, as my grace carries you through those moments because I'm sustaining you with my presence, that's enough for us. He's looking at him with the wrong eyes. He hits at the heart of the issue. This is a big sign that our faith might be in trouble. It's a sign that we need to take the engine in and get a big diagnostic check. If we're constantly asking or demanding God to reveal himself other than the ways that he has... And other than having reveal himself in his word and speak to us that way, not through all of these extraordinary events. I'll be honest with you, over the past few months, I feel like my middle name has been Philip. 
demanding to see things because my faith has been struggling. Asking God to reveal himself. Let me know you're working. Let me know you're with me. Let me know you're here. It's, it's understandable, but it's not commendable. We have to realize that his presence in our daily lives is enough that the giving of his grace, not seeing his glory, and that we can see God fully in the person of Jesus Christ. We can know him. We can pray to him. We can experience him. It really struck me when I began to think about it on this level and how, how I do believe that Jesus was kind of sad when he said this to Philip. Isn't it enough? How long has Christ been with me since the age of 24? Isn't he enough? That he, God sent his son to die for me and that because of that, I have an ongoing relationship with him in my life? I think about it in relationship to like a marriage. It's like having being married to someone and having them always perform for you or do something extra and say all of these things and, and you're telling them, you know, it's not enough that you're here. It's not enough. I mean, it is, it's grace alone that Sarah married me. I should, at that moment, I'm like, I'm good. I'm done. <laughs> you're, you're here. Man, that's a miracle <laughs> that you're here. You're still here after 19 years. Thank you for your presence in my life. But no, we, we, we ask, right? And the same thing with our faith with him. Show me more. And, and you know, there's this, there's this thing out that God's still speaking. Why? Because we want to keep, keep experiencing these moments and we want to add to his revelation because we don't, we're not content with what he has said. But it, it's interesting. Listen to how he starts out in Hebrews. In, in the past, in the past, God revealed himself in a, in a variety of ways, didn't he? Miracles and theophanies and all of those things. But in these last days, guess what? His final word, Jesus. Jesus. Notice what he says. Who is what? The radiance of his glory. And the exact representation of his being. You don't have to believe what I said. Believe the facts. Jesus makes a statement of fact right here. He says, here's the problem. You don't believe. This is what you don't believe. That I am in the Father and the Father is in me. If Philip were to realize this, his question is answered. He, and he would be satisfied knowing that he's standing in the very presence of God. This is the truth whether we can see it, whether we believe it or not. And actually, the proof is already there. It's in what he said and what he has done. Our next step is, so first of all, we have to recognize the problem. Second, we have to see the proof because God does give us proof, verse 10b. Listen to how Jesus follows up on this. He says, the words, so the very words, the Father is in me and I am in the Father, those words that I say to you don't even come from myself. I don't speak on my own initiative but the Father abiding in me does his works. Eric uh, Wenhenmeyer, Wenhenmeyer uh, was a blind mountaineer who successfully scaled or ascended 
uh, Mount Everest. I didn't, and he looks like Dennis Kel- Kelnhofer. And he, <laughs> he, writes in, he writes about this ascent to Mount Everest in Outside Magazine. He says, a few days after I arrived in the Kumbu Valley for Mount, the Mount Everest climb, a rumor began to circulate about this guy. You know what the rumor was? He wasn't blind. That he was lying about his blindness. It was because he wasn't flopping on his face every few minutes. The Sherpa, the Sherpas who were guiding him, thought that he was just making up the story. People would approach him, women, he said, would approach him in the alleys of the Namchi Bazaar, and they would wave their hands in front of his face. So if you're waving it like that, you're going to feel something, right? You're going to hear. So he would feel the wind, and he would flinch. So it would only confirm their suspicion. So after dealing with this for quite some time, it said that he, he resorted to some drastic measures. So he, he called in this guy, Kami Tenzig, who was the lead uh, climbing Sherpa, or the, the Sirdar, I guess is what they're called, into the kitchen tent. And he said, Kami, I, I want to give you a message to bring back to the Sherpas and the rest of the people who are doubting his blindness. So you know what he did? He pulled back his left eyelid, leaned his head forward, and plopped his prosthetic eye into his hand. <laughs> and that's a, That holds a adds a whole new meaning to seeing the proof, right? I mean, you're, it's the eye on the eye. So, and then he's, and the guy, he, he said, do you need to see the other one? And the Sherpa rightfully said, no, not necessary. <laughs> That's fine. He takes the message back, right? That's exactly what John is doing in this book, isn't he? Is there a proof of what Jesus is saying? Absolutely. We're just not looking at it. We, we want more proof than the evidence that has given to us. So John, John is writing this book. I'm getting all excited. Sorry. I just got... John's writing this book to do what? To list the, the miracles. To list the, the proof, I'm going to go with that word, of who Jesus says he is so that we can believe in him and that we can have eternal life in his name. And John is doing the same thing that this, the Sherpa, that this guy was going to do. He's bringing the evidence back. And he's saying to you and me, I saw this. This is what, a matter of fact, I'm not the only one who saw this. Many, many other people have seen this as well. The works are validated, I mean, the the words, Jesus' words, what Jesus is saying, the fact that he says it's coming from the Father, those words are validated by the Father working in Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. And a matter of fact, he's going to say to his disciples after this, if you don't believe what I'm saying, then at least believe what you're seeing. That is what he's doing. He's saying, if you don't believe this truth, I mean, just believe that the work, believe the truth based on the works, not just because I'm saying it. So he's saying it's it's validated. I want we really have to under see what what he's doing here, because 
often, sometimes you and I, when we're engaging in conversations with individuals, especially with unbelievers, we can say the problem is faith, and then we can go to the answer, faith, right? We say, you don't believe, that's the problem, Jesus said this, you need to believe this truth, what he says, and then jump to this. What does Jesus do in the center of this? He gives evidence. He gives us evidence of what he is saying. It's not blind faith, sorry the pun on that one, but that's, that's not what it is. He gives us proof of what he is saying. It's not a complete blind leap of faith. What we are establishing here is one of the most essential doctrines of the Christian faith. The Trinity, the deity of Jesus Christ, the indwelling presence of the Father in the person of Jesus. Philip is absolutely no different from those earlier, the Pharisees, who were seeking what? Proof. He's no different. And sometimes you and I are no different. It's not enough We want an experience. We want to see more. We're not content with faith, and we're not content with the proof that He has already offered. And I will add, the very fact that you and I have the Holy Spirit in us should be proof enough. His daily presence in our life, His working in our lives, His grace, the fact that that I'm up here speaking when Before Christ, I was headed in my own, this should be evidence enough that God is real, God has revealed himself in Jesus, and by believing in Jesus, lives are drastically changed. It should be enough, but it's not. The works verify the truth and lead to a reality that you and I can actually experience him. That right before us, right, we have all the proof that we need. He gives it. The question is, are we listening to it, and do we believe it? The the proof is then applied in faith. These works verify His truth and lead to that reality that we can experience. And John tells us, by no means is this, what, exhaustive. He says, if I listed all the things that he did, it would fill all the books in the world. That's enough, right? This is what he says. He says, I've chosen these miracles so that you can believe. I've picked out the key ones, but guess what? There's many, many more. The works verify that the Father is speaking through him because he is working in him. Throughout Scripture, God God wants us to remember stuff, doesn't he? Now, he points to these works, so when our faith is struggling, my, my, my first thing for, for all of us that we need to do is we have to go to Scripture. Scripture is going to help us and remind us of what he's done, how he has revealed himself, how there were 500 people who saw him uh, after his resurrection and ascend into heaven, how he's done all these miracles. But he also has reminded uh, the Israelites often of making what? Setting up memorials. Why? Because they forget. Because like, like his disciples, they're numb. Like us, we're numb. And what we tend to do is we forget the evidence of him working in our lives. 
And, and I think that we need, we need to do that in our own life as well. So his presence is validated. His presence is confirmed by how he has worked in our life in the past, isn't it? You know, my wife has a, has a faith that is much greater and wiser than mine. At many, many, many times. I'm not ashamed to admit that. And we, as I said, we, the past years, couple months have just been a, a struggle of faith. I'll be honest with you. And I found myself like Philip. Lord, I, I need to see some things because I'm, I'm really struggling. If I don't see, then there's going to be some issues. My, my wife said to me the other day, she said, you know what we need to do? We need to go back. We need to look at how he's worked in our lives in, in the past. And you know what we did? That's what we did. We started when we, were, when we first met and just worked our way through all the ways that we've seen God work in our life, all the ways that were sometimes miraculous. Do you think it helped? Absolutely. He, he gives us these, these evidences. He gives us these proofs. He gives us this, this confirmation of his presence so that we can look in the past to help our faith in the present and move on to the future. Because sometimes we're not going to see anything, are we? But that's only because we're not looking. He has been working he is working, and he will continue to do so. I realized that it was, I was like Philip. I was the one given the command. I was the one given the command. And because of that, I wasn't content. And really, it should have been the opposite. I should have been heeding the command, the command that Jesus gives, which leads us to the third step. Believe in what he says, verse 11. So after he says that to Philip, after he confirms these, these works and shows that proof, he says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Jesus is not saying here, in this case, even though this is part of it, believe in me. He's actually saying, believe this truth. So he, Jesus isn't giving a cause for our faith. He's giving the content. What are we to believe? We are to believe this doctrine. We are to believe what Jesus is saying, that he is in the Father and the Father is in him. Vishal Mangalwadi, a Christian scholar from India, shared this following story after visiting America. In November 2011, he said, I, I visited two classes at a Christian university in North America. I asked both of them, how many of you would still believe Christianity if you found out tomorrow that it just wasn't true. He said that God never became a man, 
that Jesus Christ never died for our sin, and that Jesus Christ never rose from the dead. So he asked this question, and he said almost half the class hands went up. Twelve out of 25 said that they would, they would believe, continue to believe in Christianity if it were not true. And he says this, these sincere and devout students had grown up in Christian homes. They've gone to church all their lives. They've studied in the Christian universities for some of them for at least three years, and they respected their elders who taught them that Christianity was all about faith with little concern for truth. He says, Christianity lost America because 20th century evangelicalism branded itself as a party of faith. Secularism, science, university, and media became the party of truth. He said this is one reason why 70%, 70% of Christian youth give up meaningful involvement with the church when they grow up. Secularism acquired truth, the truth brand, by default because evangelicalism began defining the church's mission as just cultivating faith, not also promoting knowledge of the truth. My friends, the two cannot be divorced. It is absolutely impossible. Paul speaks to what happens if Jesus has not risen from the dead. If that's not true, bye. Go home. I'm wasting your time. If this is not true, we're done for. We can't believe just on the fact of the force of our faith. It's not the force of our faith that makes it true. It's the fact that we are applying the truth through faith. And that is doctrine. It's the word that we don't like. (laughs) But this is one of the most essential doctrines of the Christian faith. Why does Jesus want us to believe this? Because this forms the very basis of his union with us. If Jesus, if God is, and if Jesus and the Father are not one, and if God is not dwelling or living and abiding in Jesus, guess what? He's not dwelling or living and abiding in us at all. And in order to experience that, in order to know that, we have to believe the truth first. I had a professor in college, I absolutely loved him, and and, and he did a great job of explaining what was happening in the charismatic movement, but I also think what happens in our own life. He would would put up on the board something, something like this, where we experience something whether it's uh, an answer to prayer, we think, or whether it's um, a, a great worship service, or whether it's w- whatever it is. We experience something that we attribute to God. And we say we've experienced God, and, and based on that experience, we then believe we have the right teaching. Experience God you have the right teaching. And that's exactly what is happening in some churches today. People are thinking they're experiencing God, and then they are formulating their faith and their truth and their belief and their doctrine off of those experiences. Folks, 
that is absolutely backwards. That's not how it goes. How are you and I to experience the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives? Well, first, we need to believe the right things about Him. That's how. It's when we believe the right truth, when we believe the right teaching, when we believe the right, te- the right doctrine, that is when we experience God. It's not the reverse. And some today are holding to this method. We're placing experience. We're placing revelation. We're placing all of these things above, uh, outside revelation, above doctrine. And that's why doctrine in churches just isn't, it's falling out of favor. Because people are seeking an experience of God apart from the truth. And I'm here to tell you that's just not how it's going to happen. This guides us in our experience. And if this differs from our experience, guess what? Experience is wrong. (laughs) Jesus is telling us content. He's telling us doctrine, one of the most essential doctrines of the Christian faith. Philip doesn't realize it. Philip is looking for what? Experience to validate it. And Jesus is saying, no, believe it you'll experience it. Because think about this in the life of Philip right now. What if Philip, the first time, the very first time Jesus said, I and the Father are one, what if he took hold of that truth in his life? How do you think the rest of his time with Jesus would have went? Do you think he would have been hanging on every word with him? Do you think he just would have relished that experience? You better believe it. But he's actually missing out. He's missing out on a true experience with God the Father through Jesus Christ because he's seeking all of this outward revelation. The the same goes for us. We miss out. Go to the truth of Scripture. Allow that truth to inform you. Believe that truth and then experience God in the right way. And that's how we know it's validated. If he had believed that, he would have experienced that. And I would add, he would have been content. The union with the Father, Jesus' union with God the Father, forms the foundation of his dwelling in us. The very fact that God became man, the Father dwells in Jesus, even though they're distinct persons, same essence. This is the Trinity. How that works, I have no idea. Is something that is incomprehensible, does that mean that it's not possible? No. It's just hard to understand. But if you don't believe me, notice where Jesus goes right after this. He talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he actually uses the same language about works that he was when referring to himself to us. He says, you believe in me, I go to the Father, and the one who believes in me is going to do what? Greater works. Why? Because when he goes to the Father, he gives us his Holy Spirit and he's working in us. 
Pastor Dave sums it up nicely when he says we must believe in Jesus' union with the Father so that we can experience our union with him. But the problem is, is we continue to look outwardly for these expressions of glory and we're not content with the treasure in jars of clay, are we? We want to see it. We want to know it. It's real important that we take note to this because this is how God works. God reveals himself first and foremost in the person of Jesus Christ. And then when Jesus ascends to the Father, who does, who does he live in? You and me. You want to see God's glory? Let's live out Jesus Christ to one another. That's how we can reveal God's glory. You want to see the Holy Spirit? There's a bunch of fruits listed. I, I would always say this. You know, some of those movements, it's, it, I, I did a report on it. Back in the day, they were barking like dogs and clucking like feral chickens. That's actually what it said, feral chickens, not domesticated chickens. It, the difference in the cluck, I'm not quite sure. But I would see all these things, right? And you have all these, these I, I watched a worship service the other night, and I shouldn't have watched it, but I did. I just got, I was just like, this is crazy. And, and all the same stuff all working up. They, they know how to manipulate people through emotion. They know how to manipulate people through music. All working up, all working up, all working up. Oh, do you feel God's presence? Yes, we feel God's presence. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What happens when you leave? And, and we look at this, and I would say to people, why can't we say, oh, there's God's glory, there's God working when someone opens the door? Because that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's revealing God working in us. How about when someone says a kind word? How about when someone is persevering in life? That's what we, we want to see all this. And I'll tell you what, it's not going to happen until Jesus returns. I'm not saying God doesn't do miracles. I'm not saying he can't act in, in that way. But that is not his mode of operation right now. This is it treasure and glory in jars of clay. We're seeking signs and wonders and a disclosure of his glory when right after this he's going to say, I'm going to make my home in you and disclose myself to you personally through my Holy Spirit. And how do we experience this? Not through sight. Faith. Believing in Him. Believing in His truth. Maybe today you, you came in here and you were living in the state of Missouri. Missourian through and through. Seeking outward signs, living in a show-me state. I know I visited that state often in these past couple months. Asking for God to reveal himself, that that would be enough. Well, I hope that you've packed your bags. I hope that you've realized that you were in a, a Missourian, that you lived in that state. I hope that you saw the proof to help get you out of there. And I hope that you believe the truth of what Jesus is saying. And I think if you do that, I think you're going to find yourself in a different state state of satisfaction. Satisfaction with his indwelling presence 
as you see God in Jesus Christ, all his glory, all his love, all his mercy, and as you see Jesus Christ right inside yourself. Father, thank you for these examples. Lord, we can look down on Philip, but we'd only be looking down on ourselves. We find ourselves in a similar place quite often. Help us to be satisfied with you. It's enough, Lord. All that you have done, all who you are, it's enough. Help us to be content with your daily dwelling in our lives as you work absolute miracles in jars of clay. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.